few years ago when I started guesting on podcasts, I sucked. But instead of being reactive to that question, I became proactive. That's my guest, Brendan Kumarasamy, who I can assure you doesn't suck anymore as a podcast guest. In fact, you should see the number of five-star reviews he has as a guest. Welcome to Upon Arrival, a show that uncovers stories and strategies that make up all the moving parts of business events tourism with me, Adelaine Ung. If you've landed here, you're about to listen to part two of my interview with Brendan, a public speaking coach extraordinaire with more than 30,000 YouTube subscribers and is also the founder of Master Talk, where he teaches executives and entrepreneurs to become top 1% communicators in their industry. If you missed part one, you might want to go grab that first because you'll get a better appreciation for some of the things Brendan talks about in this episode. But if you've already listened to that, get ready for even more gold nuggets on how to become a more effective communicator and public speaker, which completely helps you become a greater authority in your space. For this section, I promised I'd ask Brendan for his secret sauce to winning over an audience. Plus, he reveals why he's choosing not to do a TED Talk. So without further ado, Brendan, you can get good at speaking and be very polished, but what would it take to win over an audience? I mean, have them in tears or on their feet or rushing to the back of the stage to respond to whatever your CTA is. There are very few, I think, speakers who can get that sort of response. What do you think is the gold nugget or the magic, whatever, to become that kind of speaker? So a couple of thoughts there, Adeline. Hard to do in a one-hour podcast, but I'll try my best to. So here's what I would say. We know the baseline, intro, conclusion, middle. But now the question becomes, how do we structure our middle piece in a way that gets people excited about our ideas? So let's start with the first thing, which is our key idea. It's so simple, nobody does it. Out of this whole presentation, this whole keynote, this whole podcast that we're on, what is the one thing that we absolutely need people to take action on? Because at the end of the day, if they take action on that, you win. And for me, in any platform, any interview, any video I post, I only have one objective, to get people to believe that they can be exceptional communicators. That's why all of my information is super simplified. And I'm strategically, so I'm I'm being a little meta now, I'm kind of explaining my own thought process behind the interview. I'm literally taking my brain and I'm challenging myself to figure out what are the five easiest nuggets that make it undeniable for anyone listening to this podcast that like, oh, like, yeah, I'm a single mother with seven children. I could do the random word exercise with my kids. Like, so there's literally no excuse versus if it's like, if my tip was go to Toastmasters, that single mother that I, I have pictured in my mind, well, God, I don't have time to go to Toastmasters. Like, I got seven kids. Like, I, I can't go there. So every idea, every thought has that objective. Same thing when I'm doing a keynote or a corporate or a speaking engagement is if they believe in that, they'll do everything. They'll subscribe to the channel. They'll watch videos. They'll watch more interviews. They might sign up for coaching. They'll do all that stuff. So having that key idea in mind is the most important piece to that strategy. So that's part one. Part two is figuring out, and this is where the brainstorming comes in, ideas, analogies, stories that we feel will help us defend our key idea. Example that I did on the podcast. I believe that anyone can be a great communicator. Ah, I don't believe you, Brendan. Of course not. You're like some perfect kid on Clubhouse and doing – so what story did I use? Right? 
Jeopardy music supposed to play now. But the point is, <laughs> is that the, the story that I used was my broken left arm, which is all true. The anxiety, second language being uh, French, right? I presented my whole life in French. I had no business relationships in university. I never even have a communication coach because I didn't have money for it. And I, actually, I didn't even mention the last part of the story. I studied accounting, Adelaide. I have a bachelor's degree in accounting. What the hell am I doing? Coach appeal and communication. So that story serves a purpose, which it helps feed my argument that I'm correct. So people want to take action on it. I know I'm talking a lot, but that's how you answer this question, basically. And then the third piece to that is understanding the following. The best communicators on the planet often share a few common traits, which is they give the same presentation over and over again. That's why it's so bloody good. The reason I'm good on podcasts, not because Brendan is special, is because when you answer the same question 300 times, you have a better version of the answer than the first time. And then the final piece is just being willing to be challenged being willing to like have dinner conversations and get those objections out to see if you're getting the result. So in other words, don't be afraid to suck <laughs> when you're doing this, you know, and just trying to get good at it. That is so interesting. But it's a curious question. I mean, how, why did you start with accounting? I mean, you've obviously found, you know, the passion of your life and it's so far removed from accounting. Yeah, that, that's where open-mindedness comes in. Happy to talk about it. But you actually just remind of a quote that I'll spit out really quick. And the quote is by Jeremy Coward, which is simply this. The more we execute, the more we fail. The more we fail, the more we don't care about failure. And the more that we don't care about failure, the more we execute. And I feel that's such a great way of summarizing this idea to your point. It's just don't be afraid to suck, which is if, if you just execute more, you'll fail. And the more you'll fail, like I've screwed up so many interviews on podcasts, like it's ridiculous at this point. <laughs> And then the more you fail, you're just like, oh, like, I guess I just don't really care about failure anymore. Like the random word exercise. You're like, oh my God, this sucks. My life is over. But after the 20th time, you're like, okay, who cares? Like, nobody is going to sue me or put me in prison for doing the. And then you just keep executing. In terms of accounting, I was really safe in my life, Adeline. I never wanted to be a business owner. I didn't even know communication coaching was a career. And I just did it, and I even thought that was a possibility. So when I was 12, I looked at my report card, and it's a true story, when I was 12 years old, not like 20. And I, I realized I was really good at math and terrible at everything else. That's why I chose to be an accountant, because I knew I would get paid to do it. Because my priority wasn't changing the world or making myself happy. The priority was making money, because my parents were really poor, like they're factory workers. So that was my number one thing. How do I pick something in my life that I'm really good at that could make me money? So I went to accounting in business school, and that's when I stumbled on on case competitions and found my gift for communication. Wow. And I, I'm actually impressed that at 12 years old, you made that decision all by yourself because where I come from, you know, growing up in an Asian country, it's like, if you were Asian, you either did accounting or law, basically, or medicine. <laughs> you know? Your parents would be proud of any one of those things. And usually it was not a decision that you made. It was usually because of the culture and, you know, what your parents would be happy with. So I'm actually impressed that, you know, you made that decision all by yourself. And of course, you've ended up in an entirely different spot now. But wow, quite a journey. And your self-awareness from that age is is really impressive. So that's great. Um, This is a little sad, but I found myself Googling the other day how to be funny. (laughs) There was a time when I thought, you know, there was a time when I could be funny, you know, when I did a radio show and I, I seemed to have lost my funny bone. And I wonder sometimes, like, you know, how important is humor 
in a presentation. People talk about likability, you know, the no like and trust factor. Everybody talks about that. And I always thought likability is is a hard one. You know, people either like you or they don't. We don't have that much control over it. So yeah, I, I found myself Googling how to be funny. Is that something you can cultivate or is that something I can get back? Or, you know, like any thoughts on that? I mean, that was pretty funny. I, I don't know why you think your funny vote is gone. I was, I was laughing the entire time as you were sharing that. <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious. The story of not being funny is funny itself. So there you go. There's the tip. But but in terms of what you said, I actually do believe laughter is totally possible to cultivate because a lot of the best stand-up comedians in the world actually do that. Obviously, there's some natural talent. We're not going to deny that. But I mean, the secret, it's not a secret. All the best stand-up comedians, what they do for their Netflix specials is they do terribly in very small comedy clubs. They test all their jokes. And then they figure out what are the jokes that land consistent. I think Kevin Hart said something like two or three years. He does that in small clubs. He gets all of his jokes together, really that punch every time. And then he goes to the big stage and he knocks it out of the park. That's basically the strategy. And even I do that on podcasts. I actually haven't said my signature joke yet. But now that I've said it's a joke, it's not going to be funny anymore. But basically, the strategy is you want to try your best to say the same jokes over and over again. That's how you get the timing right. So in my case, being being a podcast guest, it's easier to do. But I would say in general, the best way to figure out the best way to be funny is to find one small joke that's funny all the time that you can just rinse and repeat. And the other secret that a lot of stand-up comedians don't tell us either is let's say there's 20 jokes that they say and we laugh at 15 of them. But the, the piece that I want to drive, this is a little bit hard to explain, but the piece I want to drive is the stand-up comedian wanted us to laugh at 20 of them. So the five that didn't land, they don't show it off in their face that they want it to be funny. So they notice it didn't land. They just keep rolling with the punches. But the 15 that do land, that make people laugh, that's – and we all leave the auditorium going, these people are really, really funny. Whereas the stand-up community is like, shit, why did only 75% of my jokes landed today? But he'll never show it on the audience. So that's basically what – another piece is when we tell the joke, don't get attached to it. Like it's okay if people don't laugh because you could like tell 15 jokes and if three of them land, people will think you're funny as long as you don't make it show for the other 12. Right. Okay. There's a method and a formula to the whole madness of being a, a professional comedian. Um, we do love comedians though when they're dealt an impromptu situation. And I'm not just talking about comedians. I'm talking about, you know, just in any public speaking environment and in, in events, in the world of events, we hear a lot of speakers and some are better than others. But that impromptu situation is where you show that, you know, you're a real master of the stage. So say someone in the audience heckles or someone has a little accident and the speaker just, you know, somehow knows the right words to say. That is so funny. Uh, that responds to that situation and takes a whole atmosphere to the next level. I mean, is that a natural skill or, or can you actually develop a skill to become good at that sort of stuff? Right. So there's actually a way to practice this, which is actually ball number two. So I know we're jumping through the balls, but, but let me give this one out. This is where the joke comes in. So if you laugh good, and if not, I'll try again next time. So, so basically, it's called the question drill. So we get asked questions all the time in our lives, Adeline at school, at work. And this also applies to heckling or different, which I'll expand a little bit later. But a lot of us are reactive to those questions. We're not proactive to them. So I'll give you an example with me. A few years ago, when I started guessing on podcasts, I sucked. Like I remember some guy came up to me once and he said, 
hey, where does the fear of communication come from? And I looked at him and I was like, uh, I don't know, dude, Los Angeles, San Diego, you tell me. Like, I had no idea what the answer was. But instead of being reactive to that question, I became proactive. So every single day for five minutes a day, what would I do? I would write down the answer to one question that I thought the world would ask me. And if I do that every day for a year, I'll have answered 365 questions about my industry and I'll be bulletproof. And you could also do the same thing with hecklers, where as you're presenting, you could have people heckle at you. It's just not a big crowd, like a small crowd. And you can split test different answers and try it. Lastly, I'll say on this, which I've never shared on a podcast, because you asked me about humor before. So a few things happen when I say that joke, the Los Angeles thing that I just gave. So that's actually the repeatable joke. So sometimes the host bursts out laughing. They go, oh my God, that was the funniest thing I've heard all week. So I pause and they laugh for 10 seconds and I keep going. And then other times, like which has happened right now, is you don't laugh at all, right? Either because you don't want to interrupt me or because you don't find it funny. But the reason I pointed out is because notice how I went on and continued and there wasn't a change in my facial expressions. So in my head, I'm like, shit, I guess it wasn't funny because I brought it up before. But I still keep going as if nothing happened. And that's really what stand-up comedians do so brilliantly. So I thought I'd, I'd, drink, I'd draw that nuance for the podcast. Thank you. That was gold. But I'll, do you want to know the truth? <laughs> well, what's the truth? I didn't laugh because there was a glitch in the computer recording system. And I, you were actually frozen in that time just as you were trying to tell your notes. <laughs> See, that's a new. That's actually a new one that I haven't heard before. That's a <laughs> computer glitch. <laughs> Completely true, though, and I've I've seen that as well. I mean, that kind of you know, if we can segue to virtual, because I've seen that happen before. We're doing more virtual presentations now. I mean, a whole group can come into a room in person, but the speaker is is virtual, and sometimes it's just technology and the internet, and you have these situations where just when he's the speaker's telling a joke. Or trying to share a most important nugget, you know, here's point number one, here's point number two, and here's point number, uh, you know, and, and that was like, and the last point was the most important point. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it's so, it's kind of, um, it's kind of frustrating. And I guess there's not a whole lot that we can do about that. But when you are presenting virtually, do the rules change at all in terms of how you're communicating, how you're coming across, how you're positioning yourself in camera? I guess there's a little bit more that you need to do because, you know, there's more within your control that you need to do in terms of how, how you show up. Absolutely, Adeline. Here's what I would say. I would say the set of rules changes a little bit, which we'll go through. But I would say the biggest piece is that the rules get heightened. That's the biggest piece. So let's talk about this. So the difference is number one, eye contact. So when you're in person, you move your head to look at the different people in the audience. Whereas when you're online, you're only supposed to look in one direction, which is the camera lens, right? Where you're always looking there. But what's nice is whether you're looking at one or 10,000 people, you're always giving the illusion that you're looking at everyone directly. So that's the first difference. The second one is energy. Let's face it, Adelaide, at the end of the day, right? You can't really show up with energy as much as you could in person. Because when you're having lunch with people, you're having dinner with people, and you're hugging people, giving people high fives, you also have the accountability. But when you're online, you don't have that same low accountability. Like you can wear pajamas, and it's not you don't have to shower because people won't know. So it's not the same. It's not the same level of accountability. So the energy's off. That's why my feedback always is you need to get better in person. 
get better in person and transfer as much of the that energy back online. So if I'm speaking like this, it's because I'm a I'm a like a dynamo when I'm in person. So I bring as much of that as possible back into the online setting, and that's the game. So it's just the same rules, but it just gets heightened. So for listeners, I mean, Brendan's just been moving his arms everywhere and he's just very visual in terms of his communication with me. And I thought this is just him, but it looks like this is you bringing that energy, that in-person energy to how we're communicating now, which is virtual. Um, And before I forget, I will say that I will laugh at your joke when I push the rewind button and I can actually hear (laughs) your your end of the conversation before that that freeze um, happens. um, And I'm sure it was very, very funny. But we talked about Toastmasters as a way of putting your, your P plates on, get the experience and be good at this. But a lot of, for a lot of people who are trying to make a name for themselves, you know, for the, maybe the coaching business or whatever is the message that, that they want to share with the world, uh, the, the goal is to do a TED talk. How do you get on a TED talk? Is there a strategy? I mean, should you look for smaller? TED Talk stages in, in regional areas, perhaps, to increase your chances of getting on stage? I mean, how does that work? What I would say to that question, Adelaide, it's a great one. Let me challenge that belief. I don't think we need a TED Talk to be successful. I don't necessarily agree with that. Because a lot of people think they need... I haven't done a TED Talk. I've been invited, but it's just like, I don't want to do one just yet. I'm kind of holding my breath on it. Yet I have a, I have a successful coaching business and a brand. I think what I would challenge people on is a lot of people, when they aim for TED, they kind of see it as a, a means and an all. Oh, if I get to a TED stage, my whole life's going to change. Well, what happens after you speak and nothing happens? Then what? Do you just give up on your business and go back to your corporate job? Like, So that's the big thing I would challenge people on. It's not as important as it used to be. Yeah, when Simon Sinek gave his TED Talk and there was no TED Talks in existence, yeah, it's, it's super valuable. But I think today, the bigger assets, the more important ones to focus on is like a successful YouTube channel, a successful following on LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, those types of socials where you're getting a lot more awareness for wherever your ideal clients are. I think that's the piece. In terms of how to get it though, based on all my, a lot of my friends who have landed multiple TEDs, it's very simple. It's a numbers game. You just got to apply to a bunch of local stages and you'll eventually get invited to one or two of them and you just accept the one that you want to you wanna be at. It's actually really simple. Okay. Well, I've never heard that perspective before, so that was really refreshing. Now, I know you have to run in a couple of minutes, so I'll be quick with my last couple of questions, but this has been my personal bugbear. How do you get rid of saying ums and ahs? Because I do that all the time. Most of them get edited out for the podcast because I don't want to annoy my listeners, but I've you know often wondered if there was an easy and effective way to stop doing that. For sure, Adeline. So, so the first point is to figure out where they come from. The reason we say filler words is to buy time. So let's say you ask me a question. I would go, uh, 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 yeah, uh, actually, Adelaide, that's the answer. So I'm using filler words to buy time. Whereas now the question becomes, what do the best communicators on the planet do? They still buy time because they're not smarter than us. But the difference is, is they use pauses to buy time. So instead of going, uh, 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 they go, Right, Adelaide. So here's what my thought process would be. So they still pause, but they just don't say filler words. So the trick is to replace your filler words with pausing. So now the question is, how do you practice this in an accelerated way? 
I call this exercise, and I don't think most people will implement it if you're not doing the random word exercise, but I'll share it. It's called the endless gaze. So what I get my clients to do, Adelaide, is I get them to sit in front of each other for three minutes straight or somebody that they love, and they're not allowed to say a word. So they have to pause for three minutes, essentially. And holding that silence, even if you're married to the person, is actually really, really difficult. And a lot of people struggle. But if you can do it for three minutes, it's really easy for you to pause for two or three seconds. And once you're able to work in as a tool, you'll start to remove your fillers really quickly. That's amazing. Apart from yourself, Brendan, if there was a speaker that's made a huge impression on you, who would you say that would be? And what story did they tell? Too many to count, Adelaide, but I would say the one that, that comes out to me is probably Scott Harrison, the CEO of Charity Water. It's a nonprofit he started to help the world gain access to clean water. Scott's one of my heroes, and the reason is because he speaks with the purpose. Because if he doesn't do a great job, like if I don't do a great job at podcast, okay, like I might lose a follower. It's, it's not the end of the world. But if Scott misses an appearance and doesn't do well, people die. And the reason they do is because he doesn't raise the money to, to get them clean water. So there's a, there's a lot more risk and when he communicates an idea and that itself is super inspiring because I try and speak with the level of urgency that he does and the way that he communicates his ideas and that's brought a lot of success to my career pretty early in life. Wow. Brendan, are there resources? I mean, we're going to put all in, in the show notes all the resources to all your material because you provide so much. And uh, we'll uh, tell people about how they can join your training sessions on Zoom as well. But if there was a book that you could recommend on public speaking and getting good at this stuff, what would that be? I would say the most important book that I'd recommend is not a book. It's to practice 15 minutes a day. One of my clients asked me this the other day too. He's like, what book do you have? I was like, okay, if you're reading a book, how, how many hours would you spend a week reading a book? He'd say one. I said, instead of spending that one hour reading, why don't you do the random word exercise 60 times? But having said that, if you're doing that, I would say the book that comes to mind is Thirst by Scott Harrison. Scott's personal memoir, I think, is a great book on communication, which is counterintuitive because it's not necessarily related to it. And the reason is because he's such a great storyteller. And that's what brought Charity Water to raising $700 million. And if he could do it, being a, a nightclub promoter in his 20s, imagine what we can do with our life. Yeah, I'm just wondering why why haven't you done a book, Brendan? <laughs> I mean, is that is that the very reason? It's like you should be practicing. You should not be reading a book. Is that, is that the whole reason why you're not doing a book? I'm not ready for it yet, Adelaide. I, I want to write the best the best communication book in the history of humanity. So I want to wait until I'm like 35 to write it, and I also want the distribution to make it a big book. That's why I'm holding my breath. But I'll definitely let you know when I. Well, we're holding our breath until you publish that book. So be sure to let us know and we'll go and look out for it. Um, you do free training sessions on Zoom. I just said an um, my God. Uh, you do free training sessions on Zoom every so often. Now, how can people join these sessions? What would they learn? And, and I'm, I'm curious, why do you do this for free? Absolutely, Adeline. So yes, I do a free training every two weeks on communication and public speaking so people can register for that at rockstarcommunicator.com. It's live, it's interactive, it's fun. The reason I do it is because I want to be the most generous person in my industry. That's my mission. Sure, I get a lot of clients from that training. Sure, I get a lot of business. But it's a lot more than that, which is how do I create a space where if somebody can't afford a coach, they could still have access to something. And that's that something that I want it to be. Brendan, I love everything that you're about. So I thank you for your contribution to this planet. Love your story and Oh, just amazing. So full supporters of what you do. But thank you so much for giving us your time. 
and all those wonderful tips for getting ourselves comfortable with public speaking and conquering the stage. So bless you. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Adelaide. And hey, thanks for listening. I do appreciate it. There are links in the show notes to Brendan's free training, so please go check those out. And if you got some value out of the chat, I would love a five-star rating and review for this show on the podcast player you're using. And click the follow button if you'd like to be notified when a new episode drops. By the way, if you ever wanted to start a podcast, I have links in the show notes to some of my favorite tools, including Amazon gift cards and discounts. And if you need a hand to find out how to use these tools, reach out and say hello at uponarrivalpodcast at gmail.com. I'll be back soon to uncover more stories and strategies for a successful future. Till then, cheers. Cheers.